I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run Hip Hop by the Numbers on Twitter, where you use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm director of the Fifth Element, where I highlight Fifth Element hip hop, which is knowledge. And we gotta start a motherfucking pussy riot. Or we gonna have to put it on a pussy diet. This thing is Yes, I love you, Janelle. I love you so much. Shout out to Janelle for we'll get there when we get there, because there's a reason. There's always a reason why I do these fucking intros. Oh my days! Oh my days! That was, that was a quick audible, quick audible now, <laughs> quick quick swerve. Um, but we shall get that when we get to that. Um, but for now, hi Ben, how's your week been? And uh, how's your mouth? Oh my mouth. What have you been listening to this week? <laughs> My mouth is a disaster zone, so I've got three ulcers and I burnt my mouth on Friday, so I'm really am struggling right now. But uh, you know, we'll push through, push through for the pod. Always, we always push through for the pod. Um, <clears throat> I'll go from best to worst, as always. I only listen to three projects. Well, I listen to a few, but I only really got to three majorly. I mean, what do you think is going to be my number one this week? Like, what what else could it be but West Side Gun? Fly God is an awesome god too. The Fly God is back. I think he only dropped Pray for Paris like eight days ago. I don't know. But Griselda just keep <laughs> dropping product. It's incredible. Um, you know what I've, I thought about this project is it's pretty evident that West Side Gun through the entire might of his creative mind at Pray for Paris because this is a whole other speed on this. I actually love that he's displaying that ability to push out and to draw back when necessary. Like, I feel like this album is a withdrawal into the kind of underground obscurity that Griselda, they seem hell-bent on just smashing wide open. Like, when we heard about Griselda at first, like, they were underground, you know, like, totally underground. And then Pray for Paris went 67 on the Billboard 200. Everyone's talking about them. They're signed to Shady, etc., etc. This album is, like, 2018 Griselda. You know, there's three features from Stove God Cook's Benny and Boldy James, uh, Keisha Plum, who's popped up on heaps of Griselda drops. Uh, production comes from Darringer and Chuck English. Now compare that to like Pray for Paris, where you had DJ Premier, Alchemist, Tyler was producing on there. And I see that Pray for Paris similar to the plugs I met, where Benny got, you know, Pusher, Black Thought, Jada, Alchemist, but on Tanner Talk 3, it was more like Fly God is an awesome god too. So I'm glad that Westside Gun has both those speeds. I also feel, and this is going to be crazy, but this man is the second best rapper in Griselda. Like, he keeps stepping his bars up. On this release, it's like, I, I, it, it is good. Like, he really can spit. And I, I know a lot of people don't like his voice and they can't get past the voice. I understand that. Like, I wouldn't say it's a niche voice, but if you don't like it, it's like I guess it's like coriander. It's like you don't like it, you're just not going to enjoy it at all. It doesn't matter what it's in or where it is, you're not going to enjoy it. So I understand that, but at the same time, if you enjoy his voice, man, this is crazy. Like he raps, woke up in the middle of the night, my celly crying. He got an L. He realized he's going to die here. Like he just throws that at the end of a verse, and that is intense stuff. 
And then on Rebirth, the whole rhyme scheme is crazy. He raps, Bullets hanging over word to Jesus, Mary, Joseph. Moses, sandals, Valentina, camo, with the eagles posing. Posted by the samples, fiends trample. West, you got that Van Gogh with the stamp, yo. Extra, extra hot from Nando's. Dad with the five panel. Prada bucket with the triangle. Hung the dude. His Supreme fives dangle. My eyes lay low. Like, bro, this is wild. This man is spitting. Everyone, he used to be kind of the anomaly in Griselda. Like, he was the, the non-spitter. Now he's fucking spitting. Like, this is the greatest trio in the history of hip-hop. They, they can't be stopped. They're all wild rappers. I love it. I don't think this is as good as Pray for Paris because that album is insane. This felt like a pre-album mixtape, but I still feel like it's a really good body of work. And uh, they just don't miss, man. They don't miss. No one in this crew of cap- is capable of missing right now. Conway just dropped one of the verses on the year on that new Jim Jones track. Honestly, if you haven't heard that song yet or that verse, go listen to that. It came out on Friday. It's amazing. (sighs) Griselda, bro. Griselda. I fucking love Griselda. Uh, Pop Smoke dropped his posthumous album, Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon. Now, I wasn't going to say anything about this because I don't think it's fair to critique a piece of art from an artist who was tragically taken from us at such a young age. And we did this with Mac Miller's Circles. I didn't speak on it. But let me just get this out of the way, is that Pop Smoke was ultra talented and he was trending in exactly the right direction. Now think about this. How to Rob came out in 1999. 50 Cent was four years older at the time when he was recording that material. Pop Smoke was 20 when he passed recording this. Okay, so he was very, very young, very young. The issue I have with this release is that the love songs and the singing tracks, half of this album is wildfire. I don't particularly like the 50 Cent comparisons because I think they diminish Pop's individuality. To me, he doesn't sound like a 50 clone. He makes very hype music that shoots you in the face with adrenaline. Like it really fucking pumps you the fuck up. And I don't know that 50 Cent, he could do that. But I don't think 50 Cent was ever this hype. And I also don't, th- I don't, I see similarities in their content, but I also think that it's more a link that people are, you know, forcing. It's a stretch. You know, I really think that Pop Smoke is like no other in that sense. Now, the love song half sits poorly with me because it's not up to the quality of his drill stuff. And that's fine. That's no slide on Pop Smoke. You know, he passed suddenly. And clearly he had a bunch of recordings on which he was experimenting, learning, growing, progressing as an artist. And that's what you're meant to do. You're meant to practice. You're meant to do this stuff so that when you do put it out, it is polished. And it just feels to me like they decided to use those because that's all they had. And that's my issue. It feels like they wanted to bloat the track list out to maximize streams by using the stuff he was recording to try and, you know... uh, The less cynical angle to that, and I hope this is true, it could simply be that they wanted to showcase his full artistic range, which is a much better uh, angle. And it's possible that that is the truth because 50 Cent was part of this, and I don't think like he would... uh, He seemed to have great respect for Pop Smoke. But, you know, we always run into this with posthumous albums. Like, what would the artist have wanted? And the people putting the album out have to balance that with whether it's unfair to withhold music from fans you know like is it unfair to say well pop smoke might not have wanted these demos out here or these you know these experiments but 
he was really progressing as an artist and we want to show the fans that he was doing that. So it's a hard balance. Now, I am always of the belief that unless you have expressed permission from an artist to do something, don't do it. But we know that doesn't fly when record labels and co have their cups out collecting coins when an artist passes and don't act like that doesn't happen. Don't fucking act like that doesn't happen, man. And it's sad. At the same time, it means that they push an artist into the forefront of mainstream activity and we all realize how fucking great they were. Now, I didn't really like uh, Pop Smoke's last album, Meet the Woo. Uh, Meet the Woo 2, sorry. I felt like he was he was already progressing on this album. The, the uh, drill stuff is fire. It is straight fire. I, I really got into it. So I think he was just, you know, it's tragic in the end. It's, it's just totally tragic. Maybe he was happy for all this to drop. Maybe he planned for all this to be on his album. You know, if that's the case, then I retract all my criticism of that process. I'm just happy to see the reception this album is getting. And uh, yeah, rest in peace to Pop Smoke. And if you haven't listened to it and you don't think that Pop Smoke's in your lane, just go check it out. Give it a spin. See what, he's he's genuinely, yeah, he, he was very talented. So rest in peace to Pop Smoke. Finally, Gucci Mane, the So Icy Summer Now, Gucci Mane shouted me out explicitly on Everyday Struggle. He said hip-hop numbers. He spoke about me for like 90 seconds, two minutes. So everything Gucci drops from now on is an instant classic. And I love you, Gucci. (laughs) And So Icy might be the album of the century. It's just a great project. This is a great artist. It's one of the greatest artists in the history of hip-hop, maybe music. Gucci Mane great great art go listen to that stream that stream that while you're asleep put it on and and mute it so that he gets his streams up shout out to gucci main i love you that's all i can say about that just the classic album anyway what about yourself charlie what some what satire that was oh my gosh oh you told me i had to step it up so outstanding outstanding (laughs) all right uh i started with uh Dirty Needles, uh, cathartic. This guy, um, I discovered, um, I don't know where I discovered him, but I discovered him last year. He dropped this EP called Paradise, and it was so fucking clean. Like, a dude had absolute bars, uh, funny ones at that sometimes. It was just, it was just a real fun listen to from start to finish. It was one of my EPs of the year last year. And, uh, he dropped this, uh, album, cathartic, which, um, uh, the first four tracks like start off with just like you know it, you'd think it would just be a beats and bars album one of those kind of things where it's just like a guy just you know just uh you know showing showing his skills um uh, as a lyricist in that sense but then you get to Nintendo 64 and the four tracks after it and it just it, the whole album just like explodes like a big bang kind of thing because Nintendo 64 is this epic storytelling. Um, just about his up, uh, growing up, uh, shattered is just like about shattered dreams and, uh, having to be a dad when he's not ready to be a dad and, and I guess a somber in the awakening and making it, which is, which is just like, fuck, you know, it just, it, it, it just suddenly, the album just suddenly just, it's like you're walking and then you just suddenly fall into a pit. It's like that. You just, oh, suddenly there's depth. I mean, it's just like, okay, where did this come from? But uh, Nintendo 64 is absolutely a freaking boss, like, from a storytelling perspective. It's just so vivid. You see it as soon as he's saying it. It's just, it's it's so nice. And uh, the last track, Barber Souls, well, is clean. It's just, uh, you know, just free dudes, just um, training bars. So that's all all good from the hip-hop front. Um, 
Next was uh, <laughs> a completely different uh, EP here uh, called Antelope Tour Beats Volume 1. Um, shout out to International Anthem on this one. Uh, obviously the label. And, uh, oi, this is some interesting, interesting music. <laughs> I can't really explain it. Uh, well, I will say, and, and I'll just read from their Bandcamp description because it's the only way I can explain it um, in terms of how it sounds, right? Um, so, <laughs> uh, rolled into the studio loaded with acoustic drums, electronic triggers, modular FX units, synths, sequences, and a myriad of processors, uh, uh, trumpet, synths, uh, delay looper pedal, auxiliary percussion, and a Roland TR-08 drum machine. Um, so, try and imagine all that. <laughs> <laughs> and slap that into four tracks, uh, twenty, uh, and the whole thing's about twenty minutes long. It's absolutely crazy. Like it's, it's so, it's like organized chaos, um, electronic organized chaos. It's so freaky. Um, but then like comes this trumpet and like it, it just sits nicely on everything for some reason. I can't fathom it, bro. It's such a weird listen. Um, but <laughs> if you want to challenge yourself. Go go go! Peep that. Go peep that. So it's, it's it's super. It's just super weird. Um, Spitzwell and Boog Brown Summer Days Volume One. This is one of my favorite EPs of the year. Saying it now, but unfortunately, it's one of those ones where I wish I had more. I wish I had more. Like it only happened. I think it only goes down for about 15, 18 minutes, something like that. Um, and the first, and the intro and the outro is just uh, basically. Um, uh, just people voicemailing uh, Boog Brown, just going like, uh, well, the first first intro, the intro is just like um, people going like, yeah, you, you need to kill on your next one, and then and the outro is like, well, you didn't have to come that hard kind of thing. Um, but the tracks in between those are absolutely just so clean, like just some nice jazz hip hop, um, well some nice uh, production. Uh, what was the track I put in my regular rotation? Need to look that up right quick because it's so clean. The seed, um, which has the sample, the same sample. I forget the sample. I should have looked it up beforehand, but you know what I'm talking about when you listen to the far sides running. Um, it's the exact same sample, and uh, Spitzwell flips that very nicely. And Book Brown's just like um, I listened to her. I think last year, around this time last year, and I really enjoyed her, just how she, uh, just her vocal presence. Um, it's very calm. Um, near spoken word kind of calm like she's just like she's just it, it's I don't know it's 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 so natural it's such a, it's such a natural delivery it's just like she's there's no struggle in it um there's no like you know trying to <laughs> just losing breath or whatever it's just it's just super calm she's getting the bars out and they're just it's just so nice to listen to it's such a nice listen so shout out to book brown as a uh, spit uh, on that uh Rachel Huggins uh, keep dreaming EP um, shout out to her younger sister, <laughs> Rebecca, who is, uh, 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 Illustrate, who's, uh, just a, just a black owned business that I really respect. And, uh, she obviously, you know, as family, uh, put, put, uh, 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 her sister's EP, um, just plastered that over her story. And I just thought, why not? And, uh, I really enjoyed it. It's very, um, smooth, um, soulful, uh, some tracks, some tracks have like some synths here. Uh, you know, some bit of throwback feel, um, but her voice is just nice, it's so velvety, songwriting's clean, uh, solid listen throughout, so a uh, shout out to Rachel Huggins on that one. Uh, another one, there's a lot of women this week, I'm mm. very, very happy about that, uh, Cleo Soul, Rose in the Dark, um, I've, I haven't heard much Cleo Soul, like the the, the the main 
the main reason I've heard of her was off uh, Lil Sims's uh, single Selfish, and she slapped on that. Um, just such an airy voice, and uh, you basically get a whole album of that. So uh, um, if you've listened, if you've heard Cleo Soul, bef- Soul before, um, just that airy delivery, kind of like um, Georgia Smith, but more airy. Like if you can get more airy <laughs> like that, in that sense. Um, and uh, yeah, very minimalist production, very soft listen, very calm. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so I floating in water for sure. And I just dropped my tennis ball. Um, and lastly, uh, deny more modern dread. Um, <laughs> this is crazy. Um, I kind of liken this to uh, Moses Sumney's album. Um, mm. Not in terms of comparing it, because um, uh, I, I think Moses Sumney's been a uh, bit more out there in that se- in in some senses. Which in the fact I can't even freaking genre define that <laughs> album. Yeah. Uh, but it's more like I'm I'm saying it more in like uh, this is an album album where you should listen to all of it and not just one track and you know put in your regular rotation or whatever. It's not though. It's not like all the other albums that we listen to where you know we're finding that one track that we love. Everything is just, it's such a roller coaster. this album. It starts off very, you know, steady inclined. And then I think it gets to, um, I think the, I think the track Celestial. Let me look it up right quick while I talk. Um, but when it gets to one track, it just fucking plummets down just to like, just, just like a rocket ship going down. It's like, ah, cascades. It's crazy. And uh, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Like it's, it's got this like, electro, electro poppy. Uh, but the just the bass behind everything, the bass lines, oh my god, the bass lines are crazy, man. Every single one, it just sends you. Um, so, yeah, man, I'll just, f- throw that on if you want a trip. If you want a real roller coaster, it's so, it is so enjoyable, honestly. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And uh, yeah, shout out to Deny More. And we shall get into topic of this episode, which is uh, the second volume of RDITE Bias. Um, yeah, so uh, we just had some, uh, obviously, just, uh, like, like if you didn't listen to the last one, go listen to the last one, where I obviously explained the reasoning for, reason for this episode and what it what's about, um, but for now, I'll just say that, you know, just small, um, <laughs> low-key existential topics uh, that we wanted to get through, uh, just, just let out and talk about um, with, you know, just, just in a, just in a small space, not, not dedicating a whole episode to it. Just a few topics here and there, a little bit existential, um, a little bit broad, so that we can't really condense down. So we just wanted to touch upon them. So, uh, but yeah, with that said, uh, we'll start uh, with uh, obviously Ben, uh, wherever you want to go, and uh, yeah, let's get let's get into it. I'm trying to find the original tweet that uh, brought it up. So. It's- Someone wrote, by the way, hip hop is not all about rap music. There are there's so many different elements in it. Music, graffiti, knowledge, dancing, DJing. Uh, then they tagged me and said that I don't cover the other four elements. I only cover music. I don't cover graffiti, knowledge, dancing, and DJing, which is a bit silly because I do cover knowledge. But um, And Charlie and I were going back and forth with this person and it kind of eventuated that we couldn't really have a discussion with them. But uh, I thought it would be very interesting for us to discuss on this particular podcast, on this particular thing. Now, this is quite an in-depth thing. I don't want to get super in-depth. But as you know, you may not know, and I spoke to my friend about this last night, and I told them what I was doing. And they said there are f- there are five elements to hip-hop. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are universally four. That was what Fab Five Freddy uh, originally coined. He was kind of the one who pushed this idea that, Rapping, DJing, breakdancing, and graffiti were all part of hip hop culture, 
Now, I also think it's fair to include knowledge in that group. So, and obviously, you know, Charlie's entire uh, branding around the fifth element is the fifth element of hip hop is knowledge. Now, let's have a quick look at this because I think firstly, what it is important to remember is that hip hop is not just a musical genre, it is a culture. And that's what a lot of people get confused with why these things would be included. It's a, and we've, we've spoken about this ad nauseum on this podcast. So if you really need that conversation, then uh, DM me and I can send you links to when we've spoken about it. Now, breakdancing, I want to talk on that first. It's only natural that a form of dance would come from hip hop because the whole ethos of the musical angle was having fun at block parties when it originally began. You know, 1973, these block parties that DJ Cool Herc was throwing. Dancing is a natural part of that. You know, it began at the very beginning. And this specific style of dancing, which is inherent to hip hop, is it's said to borrow widely from a variety of sources. You know, the Charleston, the Lindy Hop, uh, James Brown, huge influence. But the aim is to improvise as it is with hip hop in general. Improvisation and thinking on the fly creates that extra element of difficulty and it elevates the geniuses within the, the culture and the genre. The history of dancing throughout hip hop can be traced all the way up to the present day. You know, we're, we're looking at TikTok memes now. You know, people are creating entire songs for dancing. Like Little Uzi Vert with Futsal Shuffle, Drake with whatever that trash single was, uh, Millie Rocking, Whipping and Nay, the Whip and Nay Nay, uh, the Shmoney Dance. There's always something. And with the advent of TikTok, it's more prevalent than ever. In fact, I feel this way it may end up becoming one of the most important elements of the culture, even more so than rapping in the next few years. Breakdancing has always had a performative and a spontaneity, like a spontaneity to it. And I, I think that that has seen it grow in a lot of different directions. So the person who originally sent this tweet was probably speaking about breakdancing, you know, popping and locking, all those things that were inherent in the 70s and 80s. But because it's so such about improvisation and, and change and growth, I don't see why the the present dancing can't be included in the past. Do you know what I mean, Charlie? Do you see that link all the way up through the, the decades of hip-hop? Um, yeah, I mean, it's all dancing, isn't it? And, uh, you know, you can also link stuff to, um, you know, when uh new jack swing came in and you know all these uh, r&b artists uh were also linking up with hip-hop artists and they were for- they were basically creating dances for themselves as well um you know you're uh, plenty of r&b groups like your new editions uh, for example um and also you know stuff like heavy d and the boys had the that one new jack swing track which i forget um so yeah, you know, so it's, it's, it makes complete sense um, in terms of that, and obviously linking it to now. While I would say, <laughs> I would say that the uh, the s- s- skill level in some sense has uh, obviously gone down a little bit from uh, break dancing, do backflips and all that bollocks to a, a, a left foot up, right foot slide. <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 a little bit of skill gap, a little bit of skill gap there. But um, you know, uh, yeah, I think I think it, I I think I think there's a, obviously a plausible. Um, link uh, to all of that yeah yeah i think so too and i think i mean there's a skill gap in a lot of the things that we're going to talk about here like rapping off rip like i mean there's a massive yeah, yeah, skill yeah, gap yeah, yeah. um don't want to say so it, we'll, move, yeah. we'll move on to djing 
which is now producing. Uh, I truly believe, and this is how I fully fucking believe, I've after you know researching for you know all going back over hip hop and, and learning about the origins of hip hop. I truly believe producers have got shafted in this game of hip hop. Now I understand that the rapper is the face; they're the first person that the audience sees. But and I'm gonna ask Charlie this right now: name me a hit song that had a terrible beat and incredible lyrics. I can't name one. We can, now I can I can name <laughs> cult classics. I can name cult classics like maybe Ether. But name me a hit song that had really bad beat, but the lyrics yep. carried it to number one. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be hard you'll be hard pressed you'll be very exactly hard man yeah so we don't accept it in a mainstream sense it's funny isn't it now if i funny. asked you to name yeah. 200 hit songs where the beat was fire and the lyrics yeah, were we awful you could name 400 yep. so anyway that's just me that's just me getting into my oh, i get so upset with producers man they deserve so much more but djing evolved there are still key elements like scratching and turntablism uh, and these are the practical elements, the physical elements of DJing. Yep. You know, scratching was a way for DJs to show prodigious and genius level skill. And the more intricate and prolonged a scratch session went, the more stamina and skill a DJ had. You know, it was a way of setting themselves apart. Another another way that they set themselves apart back in the day was having the best sounding sound system. And you'll hear a lot of producers talk about yeah, yeah. how they would take you know, take stuff apart and work out how to put it back together so it sounded better. And that was like key. And also, of course, their record collection. These were all key elements to being a DJ back in the day and being a top tier DJ. There was a lot harder to do. There was a lot more work than there is now, obviously. Now, turntablism is the skill of manning the turntable, of seamlessly blending, you know, great records into each other, same BPM or same beat to create a continuous set. DJ Cool Herc created what they call the merry-go-round technique, which is basically where the DJ will blend the songs and only play snippets in order to create a com a continuous mix. And it's common now. It's absolutely common. Like I was hanging out with someone, what was it, two weeks ago, and she put on this mix. It was a three-hour mix of like electronic music, electronic dance music, but each song would blend into the next. And that is yeah. something that, mm -hmm. you know, used to be a yep. lot harder obviously physically like think about how yep. hard that is physically but yep. it's a lot easier now um and i actually saw an old school turntablist back in 2014 his name is box 65 is a canadian rapper all he had on stage was turntable a mic and his lyrics and he would scratch for long periods of time like 15 minutes and i will admit that scratching is really not my favorite part of the culture or the genre like i really don't it, it's not for me so I got a little bit bored, but holy shit, could I see the skill that was going into those elements? So I still think that that is definitely a part of hip hop up to up to this day. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a we did an episode on more of a modern look towards producers, um, uh, episode five. If you want to go peep that, but um, you know, in a historical sense, uh, there is, uh, you know, it's it's very it's very. I mean, uh, I mean, you pretty pretty much had you pretty much said it all to be honest, but like. Um, there's, there's, I think turntablism and scratching, I think quite, I do get what you mean, 
when they do this seven of shit, it's just like, all right, drop the beat already. Is <laughs> is funny sometimes. I'm just like, okay, right, let's like get it. It's just like, brew, brew, brew. We get it, we get it, we get it. Um, but you know, us, us. There was like a DJ Newmark who uh, used to be a member of a, a Jurassic Fire. I mean, there's, I think they're still, they still exist um, in some way. But yeah, he he constantly does those kind of things um, online. He did a he did a Zodiac tracks. So we're like a. He basically did like a live, well not live, but like a recorded mix where you can see him with the vinyls and like, you know, just trading in vinyls and just like mixing them. And the Zodiac part was uh, based on people who were born in that, you know, particular astrology sign. Um, and it was like, it wasn't just hip hop artists as well. It was just like, you know, like throw, throwback, like Motown or as far back as he possibly could. And it was just fascinating looking at that kind of stuff. I really enjoy that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's like, I mean, like you said at the start, like, name a name a track where, where the beat mm. doesn't knock uh and you and you like it you know i mean it's it's, it's such a foundational thing we take for granted clearly um so i mean yeah but uh it's uh it, it's it's an important element and uh one thing i wanted to get to in terms of like uh, when you're talking about people breaking up stuff i found that very fascinating and uh and something i always try and think about um especially when like people like uh uh, Q-tip mentioned in lyrics is like uh, I think it was uh, I think it's in award tour where he goes um, I learned to make mics in my workshop class, and uh, you know that's kind of, that kind of dedication to the craft in a technical sense is very mm. uh, underrated, mm. and uh, I do wonder where if that if that knowledge has the, uh, even like does even get passed down in that sense or do you, it, it is always just left to you have to learn it for yourself kind of thing because. Uh, I mean, I mean, probably one of the things that someone could teach you, but you need like you need to do that in your own time. Like, go buy something and just like tear it apart, that kind of thing. But you know, there's a science to it. I'd like to say as well. So, um, yeah, man. So DJ's fire. DJ's fire. Like, just um, shout out to like people like DJ Lord and them, man. That's so fire. That's <laughs> absolutely crazy seeing that shit on live. It's crazy. Yeah, just quickly on your final point there. It's like. I think a lot of these things, you know, there there are all these artists like Just Blaze is a great example who would always do that kind of stuff where take things apart. And I think it's everything is so much more accessible now with technology and everything is so much cheaper. Back in the day, and we've spoken about this heaps of times when we've gone back over things, especially the producer episode or the, the rappers who produce you know, and, and how it was almost yeah. you needed to produce your own music back in the day because you didn't have a recording budget to, to grab all these great producers. So you had to do it yourself. You had to learn all this stuff yourself. And, you know, now there's everything is so uh, online. You can just download freaking Fruity Loops or something like that. And you have a whole production suite right on your computer at the tips of your fingers. There's no need for you to go learn that stuff. And there are people now that are just experts in that. So I think it does... I think it's sad because a lot of people talk about how great Dr. Dre is just at mixing and mastering and getting the right frequency and stuff. That comes from like decades of hard work of of getting down into the nuts and bolts of what makes a, a song sound the way it does. And, you know, if you listen to Just Blaze, how many of his beats are just, they're over the top, overt, like horns and everything, but they never, they never like blow your eardrums out. He never like because he knows what he's doing. He know he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows how to make something like mm-hmm. a giant horn section sound good, and he's done that by just working really hard on the physical angle of producing. And 
I do worry that that's going to get lost. You know, I, I do worry about that. I hear that now sometimes where like I listen to a track and I really enjoy it. Like I really love it. But there's always like a hi-hat where it mm. just hits too hard and you have yep. to lower the no- volume down a notch. And that kind of destroys your ex- your experience a li- just a little bit. It, j- it just it just sucks the life out of it just a little bit, knowing that you have to turn it down just, to, just a notch just to just so that hi-hat doesn't like flick you in the ear yeah. <laughs> it's so annoying yeah. Yeah. oh i hate it but you know it's yeah. it's 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 a uh, like i said it's, it's taken for granted so uh you know um like like most of the stuff but you know it's, it's what it is it's a bit too deep <laughs> yeah all right we'll talk about graffiti because this is gonna be the interesting one now yeah. purists purists do call this writing but i'd like to keep calling it graffiti i don't want to mean any disrespect but i don't want confusion with like actual writing lyrics down and poetry now Graffiti has been around since humans began to draw. You know, it's not a new thing or something that began when hip-hop began. It predates hip-hop by a huge margin. Uh, And it wasn't really until the late 70s, early 80s that it was tied to the music genre and the culture. Graffiti, you know, it's the the element that's spoken of the least in hip-hop culture for the past, say, 25 years. But I would like to draw some lines, and and, which is a bit of a bar there, draw some lines, but uh, into the present day. Because graffiti predates hip-hop, which is obviously just common sense, it had to be linked to hip-hop. Now, I read a really well-sourced article that spoke of Henry Chalfant. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. I apologize if I'm butchering that. He's a photographer who brought together a performance that paired graffiti, breakdancing, and uh, the breakdancing came via Rocksteady Crew and Fab Five Freddy, uh, and the rap came from Ramelzi. Now... That was one part of the link between graffiti and hip-hop. Like, that was one of the first times that it was brought together all as a collective. Um, there was a graffiti artist called Phase 2, and some say one of the most influential artists in the field. And they relay a, t- a story from 1982 in which there was a rap tour which went to London and Paris and showcased all three, breakdancing, rapping, and graffiti together. By this time... Graffiti had become kind of a staple in rap videos and album art. Uh, And then, of course, Fab Five Freddy, who came up with his uh, elements of hip-hop. Now, he said he came up with the idea in 1978 to combine all the elements together because they all had the same vibe, energy, and had similar origin stories. And to him, it just makes sense. Now, we could argue that graffiti was another expression of physical art and that has evolved into many facets of hip-hop culture, notably fashion. And, of course, you'd be remiss to mention hip-hop without fa- without fashion. And I think that it definitely fits into the, the, the conversation around it because these four elements are all held... They all held the same hip-hop ethos, you know, competition, expression, <coughs> frustration at systemic oppression... Existing within poverty, needing a creative outlet that wasn't defined by mainstream society, all of them adhere mm. to that. And yeah, I, I, graffiti is the most interesting because it does it, it does feel like it was kind of shoehorned into the conversation. But at the same time, it makes perfect sense. And a lot of artists were rappers at, at the same time. You know, I, th- I think Phase Two had a rap album. And rap was really embracing graffiti as part of its videos and artwork and stuff like that. And I wonder, Charlie, how you feel about it, firstly, on that sense, and also 
have we seen it progress into the mainstream into modern hip-hop or do you think it is really not a part of hip-hop anymore i feel like um overall it's very um so i think it's considered more of a uh more of a throwback thing um when like you see uh just uh thinking about like uh when you're talking about fashion i was thinking about um uh the recent music video by normani motivation and uh, she had this uh, she had like 1999 like uh on her waist like on the skirt she was wearing and you know it was in like a bubblegummy graffiti kind of uh style and i was like thinking about that and just how like graffiti really is an art form obviously there's different types of graffiti but um you know and you know if, if you if you know the if you know the terminology you know the terminology but like the, the the all them all them different styles are considered like a throwback thing and you know a relic i'd say of like the 70s and 80s um but that's that's kind of how art is in some ways where um something uh, some things um there's always a new style trying to evolve in that sense and you know now we can now we see you know boom bap as a relic of the 90s Right, but there's still boom bap about, you know. So there's still people slap uh, hitting some boom bap beats here and there, right? You still see that. So it's interesting. Um, I think I see in that case, um, in the same way you see boom bap, in the same way you see a certain type of jazz or a uh, or a uh, a type of uh, R and B music. Like um, you, when I say nineties R and B, you know what I'm talking about. Like if if I say twenty tens R and B, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you just know it initially just by you know, just thinking of the sounds or, or just the eyes that you think of. Um, what was your first? What was your first question again? Uh, do you see that link to hip hop? Like, do you feel like it is yeah. genuinely linked to hip hop? Yeah, I'd say it is. Um, in the seventies and eighties, it definitely was. Um, after after that, it kind of, um, I guess, uh, uh, fizzled out. I guess in terms of. Uh, going up along with the music that was obviously coming up in that sense in terms of becoming mainstream um in one of the tweets that uh, you know that came out of this i mentioned that graffiti didn't really get a chance especially in the art world um to gain that mainstream appeal apart from you know a couple literally a couple of people like um banksy or shepherd fairy um yeah. obey shepherd fairy like <laughs> you know what i'm talking about when i mention those people right but uh, uh but you, you, do we see him as graffiti artists like like yeah, is that the first word that comes to your mind like graffiti yeah, does it, is that the first word that comes to your mind it may it may be the first it may but it also may be the fifth um so i feel like in that case um it was initially linked to hip-hop i don't think it is now unfortunately i would love it if it still was and potentially you know if there was an evolution of graffiti in some sense like a new style or whatever that someone did that would um I don't know, like a cater to, um, or, or would just even relate to the times that we're in right now. I'd love that kind of thing um, for some, I don't know, visionary person just to um, create some boss canvases in, in terms of that, or or do it in the throwback way and um, <coughs> um, do on some buildings, um, you know. But um, yeah, I, I just think it's a it's it's unfortunately a relic in the same ways as we think of uh, certain sounds um, in certain types of music. So. Uh, yeah, it is what it is on that front. Okay, do you want to speak on knowledge? Because this is uh, your... your uh, cracks fingers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I, I I wrote an article a couple a year or so ago. Um, actually, it was when uh, it was when Kendrick got the Pulitzer, um, and it was in response to that. At the same time, um, Q-Tip got a uh, I, I think a residence in like the Kennedy Center um, as like a teacher or some se- a teacher of some sense. I, I forget the details. Um, just type up a Q-Tip Kennedy Center, you'll get it. And uh, Knife Wonder teaches uh, hip hop. Um, in uh, North Carolina Central University, and he also teaches at Duke University as well in terms of hip-hop as well. Um, I, I, I took those three things, and I was thinking about hip-hop academia, and I was, and obviously, you know, I'm not the first person to talk about, you know, uh, uh, hip-hop in terms of, like, a knowledgeable uh, sense and also academia. Um, there are a lot of people that have written books. Um, you can go look up, like, Professor Trisha Rose, um, uh, um, I forgot his name, Kitwana. Um, I forget, I forget his first name. Apologies, but Kitwana. And uh, yeah, so there's people that have written books about hip hop, like academic books about hip hop, like not just like um, you know, uh, uh, uh what's what's the what's the Jay Z book that Michael Eric Dyson did, uh, Decoded. Like mm. you know, that's 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 in the realm. It's not like fully academic, but it's it's in the realm. Respect to Michael Eric Dyson, he's a G. Um, but yeah, there's hip hop books, but then there's hip hop academia. And I feel like when it comes to hip hop knowledge, and when we when I say that. I'm talking about just in terms of, um, you know, from from the from the lowest of it in terms of, you know, um, when you know, when I talk about exploring certain uh, exploring your horizons, um, which I will kind of touch on in um, another topic of this episode and, uh, you know, just discovering stuff. I consider that obviously knowledge seeking um, and not just listening to the same five artists that you've had for 10 years Um but it also gets higher in that, higher than that, into stuff like hip hop academia, and um, and and getting to new heights in that fashion, and talking about hip hop in a larger sense, talking about it from a societal perspective, mm. linking it to certain things, how we respond to hip hop as a culture, um, stuff like that. It really can. There's there's levels to hip hop knowledge that I um, that <laughs> I still don't have the time to fathom right now but um i acknowledge they're there and at some point i want to personally get to those kind of levels um and you know there are there are people that can be generally called hip-hop scholars um you know dart adams for example i generally think is a hip-hop scholar um Nodgy has is stupid um the way he uh, <laughs> presents those can be very condescending and um, in that case, I kind of see it in terms of how, um, you know, uh, not even scientists, but some, you know how we see science, how pe- some people see scientists as, you know, oh, stop talking down up on me. You know, I, I, I know what I, I know for myself, da, 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 but you don't. You just hate being talked down to. And sometimes you just need that. But, um, but there's also some people that make the effort to make it accessible. And... Um, you know, uh, Di Adams sometimes struggles to do that, and that's his prerogative. That's how that's how that's how he wants to do it, and that's fine. You know, if you if you can't get on his level, you can't get on his level. You're gonna have to find it some other way. Um, but for me personally, I value it, and I, you know, in terms of doing this podcast and also what's good, you know, that's I'm, that's my way of doing things. I guess in some way, my little my little way of doing it, um, of trying to uh, give knowledge through my own personal learning as well as um you know stuff that i can just put on put 
just game that I can put people onto, um, whether it be recommending a certain ice to somebody that they haven't heard yet or something like that. So, um, yeah, I, I personally add knowledge, obviously, as the fifth element of it. Um, some people don't. Some people in hip-hop circles still don't even add it. They still just call it the four elements in hip-hop. Even um, the recent um, uh, US Postal Service created uh, four stamps for hip-hop, and there wasn't a knowledge one, which I was kind of um, disappointed about. But it is what it is. And, um, <clears throat> but I've still, I, you know, regardless of whether it gets acknowledged or not by even people that have been in hip-hop for, you know, since the beginning, um, it's, still, it's still there, and it's still relevant uh, in some way. And... Uh, you know, it's just all, it's all, it's all, it's all, to, it's all about bringing that kind of stuff to light. And, um, you know, it's kind of why I get pissed off at some conversations we have in hip hop circles where I'm just like, are we seriously talking about this kind of thing right now? So it's, it's, you really, <laughs> it's, there's it, more to this. There's more to this that you can get into, but you just decide not to because, um, you want to, you want to, you want to sportsify this conversation and like, talk it as if it's um a tale of the tape between two boxes it's not how it's not how it works but um you know go off um but uh yeah that's my uh, knowledge soliloquy <laughs> that's well said that actually gets into perfectly and i'm not going to say much on it because i think you said pretty much everything i was talking to a friend last night we were talking about the five elements and i was explaining you know what they were because they said oh i didn't know that there was so such depth to hip-hop i'm like yeah yeah there is and I just wrote, um, you know, I wrote the four and then they said, what about knowledge? And I said, knowledge is an innate part of hip hop. It has to be there. Without it, hip hop doesn't exist because it's a culture and a culture has a history. And to understand history, you need knowledge of it. So to be a true part of hip hop culture, you need knowledge. And that's all I wrote. And I really think that that is the truth. You know, a lot of people speak about uh, the knowledge aspect of hip hop in, you know, self-knowledge and knowledge of self that helps you to progress. But I think the problem that we have so many times is people just don't want to educate themselves. And that's why we, we struggle with these conversations with people where they, you know, as you said, they want to turn it into a cookie cutter discussion and a surface level discussion when there's so much more depth to it. You know, um, my friend was telling me about this is just an example. My friend was telling me about she was watching Candace Owens being a, yeah, and um, was, you know, <laughs> critical of people idolizing George Floyd and saying, well, he sold drugs. You can't idolize oh, yeah, that man. That. It's like, yeah, it's, like a, it's like a super duper surface level discussion. It's like this man did something wrong. I'm not going to worry about anything else except for that one action that one thing that they've done right now at this very moment, and I'm going to judge their entire history and their entire persona and everything about them off that one thing. And a lot of people do it with hip-hop. And it's why I got so riled up last week about the Black Eyed Peas is because you can grab, like a lot of people will do this. They don't want to put the time in to go and learn history. They will grab one thing and say, this is indicative of the entire genre. And they're not going to do any research. It's not fair. And that's just, yeah. Yep. So knowledge is... Yeah. Knowledge is key, man. Knowledge is everything. And I think it is an element. It it has to be an element of hip-hop because if it is a culture which we talk about, 
You need knowledge to continue a culture. You can't just start from 2020 and then continue the culture onwards from there. That's not how it works. You need to go back in time. You need to understand where it came from, and that's knowledge. So, yeah, I think it's yep. a huge part of hip-hop. Yeah, just to say, um, before we continue, um, Bakari Katwana, there you go, that's the, that's the author I was talking about, and also uh, Jeffrey uh, Ogbonna Green Ogbar um, for, for another one, So if you want, and Nelson George as well. Um, so if you want to look up any of those people, Trish Rose as well, um, look up their books. Um, they, they, have, they have plenty of uh, talks as well on YouTube, I, I assume, as well. Um, Nelson George is very um, uh, vocal um, as a, just, I think he's a filmmaker as well. So, uh, yeah, man, there's it's pl- it's plenty of people you can get into. And you can also, you know, throw in people like John Singleton as well, you know, going into that kind of stuff. Spike Lee as well in terms of, like, you know, taking hip-hop and then applying it to whatever they're making as well. Like, mm. John Singleton with Boys in Hood made, like, the first like you know hip-hop movie in a in mm. a, in, a, in that kind of realm in like the dramatic sense obviously there's stuff like wild style you know you know just there's stuff like that as well but um you know it, boys in hood was really groundbreaking in that sense mm. um in terms of like taking hip-hop and making it um and adding it to the real life that you know the uh, uh, people living in la in that specific sense so i uh, just wanted to throw that out there as well so no well, next topic so, so. Yeah, well, I think, well, firstly, I think we, we spoke about that because, you know, the criticism was, why don't you speak about these things? And I think they're still all inherent in hip hop. And uh, I think we answered that question. So, yeah, well done to us. Um, the next, <laughs> next topic is Janelle Monet. Now, Janelle Monet tweeted out, very simple tweet, very simple tweet. I really only ever want to hear women rapping. The amount of misogyny from most of men in rap and music is infuriating. We need to abolish that shit too. Full stop. And people lost their shit. People went crazy over that. Now, we haven't, I haven't prepared anything for this. Charlie, you know, do you want to speak on this? Because, you know, we both love Janelle Monet. We both agree with this tweet. What do you want to say about it? Um, put simply, um, I, I, I am... You know, we 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 said this we said this before um, before we recorded, but like, it's, we have the same thought in terms of like, we're not shocked at the response, uh, but there's a large amount of disappointment there. Mm. Um, even more so, um, considering where we're at and considering the conversations we have all been having as a you know collective society um, in the past months, um, it's again just sending us back to the same old shit. Um, you know, <laughs> I won't mention. I won't mention who did the tweet, but you mentioned it obviously beforehand. And uh, no, no, no. Uh, this dude, this dude, well, I don't know if it's a dude, but I'm assuming it's a dude. Highly assuming it's a dude. Um, basically listed a bunch of uh, uh, male um, artists that we all know of and we all love, um, and going like, uh, you know, these are not misogynistic men. It's like, and that's the conversation quickly went into the not all men discussion, which is funny enough the exact same as all lives matter that it's it's the exact same thing different coin exact same side exact same side it's both the tail side of <laughs> of those particular coins right it's the same shit saying not all men is basically you just vocally saying i don't care what she's saying i'm not that person so therefore um everything's fine is it, it, it it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add to the conversation. You're you're basically just wasting words. You're wasting your time even saying it. And you're wasting my time of me reading your bullshit, right? 
if you don't respect what Drimonomo is saying, and this is another thing, right? I highly, highly doubt, I highly doubt that most of these dudes that are responding <laughs> on Twitter have even listened to a Janelle Monet album. I, I highly doubt. I guarantee you at least 75% of them haven't listened to a Janelle Monet album fully. <laughs> I find it so funny um, of how you guys can just have this have this opinion, you know, because you've seen it before and you know where you stand on it and you just won't, like, look at the person who's talking about it, a Janelle Monet who has been fucking vocal about this from literally day one. Like, ever since she got into the game, like, she, she has been this person of female empowerment. And another thing, and I'm jumping to several things here just because um, I'm freeballing it. Like, she, she, said, she said that's what she's going to do. Like, it's saying, a, it's, saying a, it's saying a widespread declaration that all men can't make music anymore. I don't understand why men get pissed off at these kind of conversations, right? If you don't, if you don't want to... Um, fathom her words um, or even uh, respond to them in a positive manner fine go listen to whoever you want to listen to right and I don't even want to name artists because that's just too easy it's like we know who we're talking you know who you who we're talking about right you, you go listen to some songs that you listen to you you know exactly what we're talking about right um so if you if you don't want to don't as simple as don't and i saw another tweet um which is half related to this but i found it so interesting um where i'm paraphrasing but it was like um you lot love to get on um megan the stallion and uh i, I still don't know how to how to say her name but saweetie saweetie sweat um yeah um but you know we love to men love to shit on them because they talk about hood shit but they go to college or they have been to college but then nobody talks about rick ross anymore and you know me, bro, I talk about Rick Ross <laughs> whenever I fucking can. I mention that shit just, at every fucking real. moment. The dudes are fed, all right? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> that's a fact. He was a fed, okay? There's no there's no take, taking away from that. I don't care how hard his bars go. Um, some of them just fucking don't, let's be real. Um, I think you lot overhype him uh, way too much. I don't know why, but the dude was a fed, and that's a fact, okay? Um, and that's not... I don't want to get into the other bit, but um, yeah, it, it's so funny. There's the, the double standards here, um, you know, are, are, are clear are clear to see. And I know I'm freeballing this a lot, and uh, this is not exactly the most nuanced as I'd like to be personally. Um, it, it, this shit's still valid, and whatever Janomone says on this topic, I highly value it because it's a valid conversation to have at any time, right? But the strict fact that the response has been overwhelmingly um, not all men, quote-unquote, is so frustrating to me. And I just want to ask, do you see where you're, do you see where you're standing right now? Because you're standing exactly the same spot in the parallel universe when people are doing All Lives Matter. You're doing the exact same thing, the exact same thing in this conversation. Alright, so I, I just want to ask that question, if you guys even know that, because um, if you did, and then you, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe claim that black lives matter, maybe, who knows, <laughs> maybe you're in that camp, maybe you're not, uh, but if you are, but you're still shitting on Janelle Monet for speaking what is facts, 
Um, you know, this is historically accurate in many ways. I just wonder. I just wonder how you can uh, seesaw like this. It, it, it's 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 outstanding to me that you're that you're doing these mental gymnastics um, over something that is really clear cut. You know, there's misogyny in hip hop. There's misogyny in music. There's misogyny in the music industry. There's misogyny in many industries. Um, are you disputing that as a fact, um, or do you are you just crying about it because I don't know somebody's just uh, taken out of you, uh, come out of your bubble for a uh, for a split second? Um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna take go eat firstly. Firstly, I think it's um, interesting you said the word freeballing while we're talking about this. But anyway, um, that was a little Freudian slip. Um, I'm gonna Wait, take what? a different tack. <laughs> You said I'm just freeballing here, and I was like, freeballing. That's interesting things to say. I just thought. Why? It was why? Funny. What's, the, what's the what's the, what's what's the context? Well, when you freeball, you're not wearing underwear as a male, right? Isn't that the the point? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That was yeah. not even my that was not even my context, but. No, I know, I know, because it's such a common <laughs> okay. term. I just it just okay. hit me. I think I did we did something. That. We did something similar on the Women in Rap podcast, and you said something, and I forget what. I will have to go back because that was um, that was funny too. It wasn't it wasn't intentional. It's just like it's just a term. But anyway, <laughs> we can cut that if you want. I'm happy to cut that. No, I'll but, keep, I'll keep it. I just didn't even clock, but no. So, um, right, well, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a different <laughs> tact here than what I would normally take because normally I would just go start just yelling, but what I've been trying to do recently is be a lot less combative in this kind of thing and i'm not combative on hip-hop numbers at all so but then when i get on the podcast i can be because i feel very strongly about this but people were asking me like what is actually wrong with misogynistic hip-hop or why can't you just not listen to it why do you have to abolish it completely some people were even saying you know what is toxic masculinity what is misogyny and what why why does it affect women at all now i've probably told this story before but if you're a new listener to be a discussion um i was going for a hike with a friend one day it was a tuesday it was 10 30 a.m and she was nervous because we were going out into bushland she said what if someone's there and i said so what like people will be there probably she's like yeah but what if they attack us and i said they're not going to attack us like why would they she's like they might you know it might be like a bunch of men and i'm like well i'll attack them back i'll just you know defend us i'll get a stick and beat the shit out of them and so we ended up having a full discussion about it. And it was the first, I was thinking I was 21, 20. And it was the first time I ever realized that women are terrified in the real world. They walk around being terrified of shit. They're scared because they don't know what man is a threat and what man isn't. Think of the power dynamic between men and women, okay? Men can overpower a woman physically, which means that they can, you know, if, if they're manipulative and nefarious and they're criminal, they can actually genuinely hurt a woman. So that should not be a problem if there was equality and if toxic masculinity and misogyny didn't exist. Now, we know what toxic masculinity and misogyny is. It's treating women like objects, treating them like their only goal in life, their only role in life is to sexually satisfy the male and to you know, provide children for the male, etc., etc. Now, you might be sitting at home and thinking, well, that's not me, so I don't have to worry about that. And someone said that to me, you know, they said, well, I don't have to worry about this because that's not me. I'm not like those men. But the problem is that, and then, and then they said, well, women shouldn't just judge us that way. And they shouldn't just assume all men. Now, what you're doing with that 
is you're putting the entire thing on women. Now, what women have to do is then they have to work out which men are safe and which men are dangerous because there are dangerous men out there. And if you listen to these songs, imagine listening to these songs and hearing, like I I wrote a whole article, right, in um, 2017, Why is Misogyny in Rap Still Okay?, and there's so many lyrics in here, man. There's so many. Even Drake, even Drake, he writes, um, all that looks like what's her name. Chances are it's what's her name. Chances are if she was acting up, then I fucked her once and never fucked again. She could have a Grammy. I'll still treat her ass like a nominee. I just need to know what that pussy's like. So one time is fine with me. He rapped that. Okay, that's Drake. And he's probably one of the artists you wouldn't think is like that. Um... Chris Brown rapped on that fuck your feelings. He's like, pimping is pimping. I make a commission. I make that pussy pay. My dick like a chopper. I load it and cock it and bust on your face. Like these are just really damaging things to say to women. As a woman, you you don't want to hear that. And the scary thing then for women, think about it, is that Chris Brown, Drake, they have huge male fan bases. And women don't know how um, how influential these songs are actually being on the mind state of these men. They don't know. Is, is this actually making men feel this way? Are they teaching men how to treat women like objects? Is the next man that I meet who is a Chris Brown fan going to take me back to my apartment and think that they can ejaculate all over my face? Like, why do women, women have to go through all these mental gymnastics? They have to go through all this extra shit that we don't, as men, ever have to do. We don't have to do that. You know, you think about, like, I was listening to Joe Budden podcast and he was talking about an issue he had with DJ Vlad. And DJ Vlad was in a club, right? And DJ Vlad had with him someone that Joe Budden didn't particularly want to be around. So he just thought... Sorry? An undercover cop. Yeah, continue. (laughs) It was actually someone who allegedly had murdered someone with their bare hands. I don't know how truthful this story is, but... Joe Budden was just like, I'm not going to go in that club because I don't need that shit tonight. Women have to do that every single fucking night, bro. Every fucking Mm -hmm. night. Go out to a nightclub. How many times have you been out with your boys in a nightclub and they've done some disrespectful shit to women? Oh, bro. It's like every Uh, I saw some... It's so so creepy sometimes because there was one time there was a personal anecdote. There was um, two dudes I was with and um, they were there specifically just to like... Just to get saint, you know what I mean? And it was so weird to look at. At the time, I was, I was thinking of it as like a David Attenborough documentary because it really looked like that, um, of just like two males, like go to, you know, court a female. Um, but yeah, man, it's like, that's and that's with uh, people, you know, with semi-good intentions um, and they don't like, and I know they don't extend it like that, but there's plenty of dudes that just don't take no for an answer in a club or just in any setting. Uh, so yeah, man, continue. And that's dangerous because men do have the physical power in that situation. And so for a woman, they can't just live their life. They can't just go out on dates or they can't just go for a bushwalk or they can't just go to the club or they can't just walk home at 3 a.m. by themselves. We can do that as men. We do all that stuff. You know, I've I've been in a lot of fights, not a lot, but I've been in a few fights where I've never been sexually assaulted in a fist fight. I've never been like, because I'm a male, like I can defend myself. I'm strong, like... And I'm not saying women are weak, but men have the physical edge over them. And so this is the problem, man. This is the problem with the whole thing. If we draw it all the way back to where the original point is, what is wrong with these lyrics? Is that they're fostering an environment where women are 
scared and they're being treated like objects and they're being treated like really disgustingly and toxically. And now women are looking at these lyrics and being like, is this how men really feel? Because this is the mainstream of hip hop. These are artists like who are at the pinnacle of hip hop. Is this how men really feel about us? And if so, like how can we even interact with these men? Should we even be around these men? What they're saying about us is aggressive and dangerous. Like they're going to beat the pussy up and you know, they're going to slap us if we do something wrong. They're going to pimp slap us and stuff. Like, that's really scary. Why Why should women have to, why should we put that on women to have to judge who the good men are and who the bad men are? There should be no bad men. That's not fair. And it's not fair as us as, you know, if we're good men. I, I've, you know, I've never assaulted anyone, but I've certainly con- contributed to this environment when I was younger before I even knew what was going on. And that's terrible, man. I feel fucking horrific about that. And I'm never going to say, oh, I'm a good man. So, you know, you should just respect me. Like, no, I'm a man. You should be scared of me. Like, that's sad that you should. But I understand. Like, I actually was going on a second date with a girl last year. And I said, do you want to go for a walk? Um, And I'll drive us there. And she was like, no, actually, I would prefer if I drove myself. And I was like, oh, okay. Why? And she's like, because I don't know you. I've only been on one date with you. I'm not getting in the car with you. (laughs) And I was like, that's fair. Like, I'm not going to assault this woman. And I would never, ever, you know, I I hopefully don't give off that vibe. And we actually dated. And she said, no, you definitely don't give off that vibe. But that's just how I feel. I have to protect myself. Why wouldn't we want to make the world safer for women? I don't understand that. Yes, we do need to abolish this misogyny in hip-hop. It is not acceptable. It's not acceptable to talk about women in this way. They're humans. They're your mother. They're your sister. They're your aunt. They're your fucking cousin. They're your best friend. They're your wife. They're your daughter. Don't talk about them in this way. Because yes, you may be talking about one... You may say, well, we're talking about one subset of women. Or we're talking about a woman who likes this kind of stuff. Or fetishes this kind of stuff. Or... We're talking, it's it's completely not real. We're just making up a story, you know, just for entertainment value. But it has value for women. It is actually affecting women. Like, it does damage the well-being of women as a collective, and that's not fair. And I, I just, I feel like we need to change that. And I, I, I really hate these kind of lyrics. And I know that they don't affect everyone who's listening because they've never affected me personally. All throughout my hip-hop history, I've listened to really, you know, misogynistic, rhymes and they haven't changed my opinion on women that's not how I feel about women but that doesn't mean that it's not affecting other people's opinions on women and that doesn't mean that it's not feeding into this collective and and as we've seen from the response and and Janelle Monae's tweet basically was uh what's the right way to say it was a self-fulfilling prophecy because she tweeted that out and she triggered a bunch of men who'd been listening to (laughs) hip-hop and were like no we don't feel it's that a, way. Like that's not fair. Fresh bait in it. It's so easy. It was it was literally like she chucked the hook in the water and everyone <laughs> yeah. fucking grabbed it, man. And that and it was just proving her point. Yeah. Every reply mm-hmm. proved her point. And that is just so sad, bro. That is so sad. And I respect Janelle Monet's decision. If she doesn't want to listen to males in rap, man, fuck that. Go go for it. You know how many women I've spoken to who when you tell them that you work in hip hop, they take a step back and they say, Oh, okay. And even when you explain to them that you don't like the misogyny, you don't respect it, you don't interact with it, they still struggle mm. with the fact that you even interact with hip hop at all. They don't fuck mm. with hip hop because of the and and it's not from it's not from some a couple of artists who are really bad. It's not a couple of men. You know, this is a genuine thing that is part of hip hop history, and um, 
it's still part of it today. I just don't know why. But yeah, I oh, ended well, I know up ranting what. I can a little that bit. Question for you. Go. I can answer that question for you. Like just quickly, like it's 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 what. It's what the industry uh, doesn't mind, like, it, 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 they don't mind having that kind of thing because, you know, the majority of these, a majority of hip-hop and obviously, you know, the, in the identity sense is black. And you see and you have these artists that, you know, can happily talk about this kind of stuff and then they go number one and stuff like that and then people are listening to it, you know. It's the audience question. It's the audience versus um, label question, you know, chicken or the egg question that we had that we did um you know, that we've we've been that we've had several times over uh, over the over the past um, you know year or year in a year in a bit, um, it, it it and you know in more in a more zoomed out sense you know considering that um, record labels and uh, the audience don't mind these things clearly they don't mind these things then why why would they stop, and it doesn't affect them because they're not considered part of the hip-hop culture in that sense we see hip-hop culture as like you know the just the music the personalities that we see every day um we don't see it as the the suits behind everything um you know making these uh decisions f- um on the top on the top level and you can you can also make a kind of um you know uh, an even even wider point about like you know who owns the record labels and who owns the a uh, company above that record label, even though they're not into music, but they own the record label. You could, you could do all of that if you really want. Um, I won't just for time's sake, but it's it's entirely plausible to do that kind of stuff. And um, you know, it's perpetuating a it's perpetuating African Americans in you know in the in the American sense specifically. You know, you can link it to uh, British people in grime as well from back in the day. Uh, for sure, you can do that. You know, they don't mind. They sell the records, but they but they're not they're not black. So what's the what's the what's the matter? It, it doesn't matter to them. It's just um you know another. They don't see it like that. Mm. You know we obviously have we we have to see it like that sometimes because to have these conversations we we need to have these uncomfortable looking glasses, and um you know sometimes we choose not to, um but you know it's 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 fine as long as they get the pee from it. And as long as you guys constantly spin it, then what's the issue for for anybody? What's the issue for the people? Well, okay. What's the issue for the people that um, matter in this sense, in the system sense? Um, you know, if if you guys don't listen to it, then this shit won't. Honestly, it might not. It might not even be. You know, as prevalent as you as you, as, as it should be. Um, you know, there's uh, there's another there's another thing I want to get. Oh, just wanted to. Uh, quickly get to I forgot how to say it to be honest but um, yeah fuck it I'll just leave it at that <laughs> well let me let me ask you a question like because what it sounds like you're saying and I don't want to get this wrong is that it's the labels that are driving this this content and the labels that are pushing this content and <coughs> we know who's behind these labels is old white men and they're putting these young black men out there with these kind of records and saying this is the kind of music you have to make to be popular and this is painting them in a in a light that is not fair on them is that what you're trying to say i'd see it i see it as an endless cycle so if you see if you if if you see an artist on the come up and they sometimes have to do that kind of stuff um take a uh, someone like uh, Young Ads, for example, who's a member of D Block Europe. Go listen to D Block Europe, right? And what they talk about, and then go listen to a uh, Young Ads uh, freestyle from like 
uh, I don't know, 2010 or whatever, like a like an early version of him. It's so different. It's mm. so different. Um, and you know, that's just one example that I just thought from the, uh, from the off the top of my head in terms of like people have to change their not everyone. Um, sometimes they just start off like that, and that's you know, and that's completely fine. But there are some people that you know change their way of doing things just so they can you know make it. And uh, the, and compromises have to happen. It happens every. It happens in a lot of places, not just um, not just in music, but you know, in film and television as well. If you want to get your idea out, you might have to hire this uh, mm. a person that you don't want to hire, or you have to have uh, you know, instead of a black lead, you need a a, a white lead. You know, this shit happens. Um, like there's an article I read lo- uh, last week on What's Good, where like this uh, this writer who had a a black show. Um, with four four black leads, had to have a white co-writer, just just had to have a co a white co-writer, and there was a one point where she, where he said that, that they they wrote a script, put his name on it, and he didn't even know like they it, they sent it to the ed, uh, to the script editors, and luckily it came back with changes, um, so we could actually have a look at it. But that that shit happens, mm. um, and, you know. Going you know going going back to you know what we're talking about, you know. Again, labels don't care, so to speak. You know, mm. the point of it is to sell records. You know what I mean? Not all, not all of them have that um, ethical, uh, have them ethics of trying to make music that actually, you know, feeds the soul and not just dips into our, you know, wildest dreams or our, um, or our, you know, dirty minds, so to speak. You know what I mean? Not to sound like I'm an evangelical, you know, nut job, but, <laughs> but you know, it's. <laughs> It's 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 evident. It's evident. Go look at whatever's charting, like you know, and who those artists are. You know what I mean? Like some of them don't. Some of them just make those kind of that kind of music, and it is what it is on that front. Maybe they started like that organically. Maybe they didn't. Mm. Regardless of the fact, they knew that they had to do it in order to get to that point. Well, there's right? a deeper, darker criminal link to that because in the major label episode, we talked about when major labels started to get involved with hip-hop, which was the early 90s, late 80s. And I think both of us can agree that early to mid-80s hip-hop was not... I don't know if this is... I haven't done the research, but it does not feel that misogynistic or toxic. It doesn't feel... if It was feel-good music. It was happy music. It was uplifting music. It wasn't... It wasn't what it became in the 90s. And... I feel like there's a direct correlation between when labels got involved and when hip-hop started becoming more popular with mainstream audiences. And and I'm going to say this with white audiences, that is when hip-hop started to become more misogynistic and more toxic in that sense. And I wonder, because I think you're right, I think a lot of criticism from that Janelle Monet tweet is... is, is, is uh, focus solely on the rapper solely on the rapper but there's huge different like there's a huge amount of influence on what that rapper puts out as you're saying there's what the audience wants there's what the label wants there's you know decades of what's charted decades of the kind of content that people have connected with so yeah that's very interesting that's very interesting it's it it always interests me that someone like coda can go nowhere in the industry and yet makes great music, happy music, feel-good music, uh, music that uplifts women, and then, you know, yeah, maybe it is a label thing. Maybe it genuinely is a label thing where 
I don't know, it's very hard to draw a full conclusion without doing some sort of empirical research and asking people and doing analysis. But I mean, we could just look at the responses on Twitter and we can kind of see that maybe it isn't the artists that are driving this content. Maybe it is genuinely the audience that drives this content. Look at the way that Future was like uplifted for his toxic masculinity and he's our toxic king and, you know, the toxicity is great and stuff like that. I'm not saying that Future's album was anywhere near the level of what we've spoken about in the past. I, I think it was, I think I said on this podcast, it wasn't It wasn't particularly that bad. Like if, if 100% is you know, we know what 100% is, some of those terrible bars that I read out before, he was probably at 40%, 30%, so it wasn't, so yeah, maybe it is, maybe it is not, you know, maybe it's not fair for Janelle Monet then to put it on the artist, I'm not criticizing Janelle Monet's tweet at all, because I agree with her entirely, but maybe it is an audience and label thing more so than an artist, just an individual artist thing. But just to say, like, you know, as a final point, like, you know, you meant you said 30%, but that's still a number. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what, what, what is there? Is there an acceptable level of mis- misogyny you'd like? Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's, there's. That's kind of the point. Um, you know, and I know you did. You know, you you mean that like in the in the genuine sense of like that's fine. But yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's 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 still there. It's still a number. Um, and you know, it's, it, it, if if someone if someone says one wrong thing. Um, then people, or uh, you know, Chris Brown, while his career hasn't dropped, you know, people still reference Rihanna to him plenty of times on social media for that one moment. Um, and you know, regardless if you want to forgive him or not, in whatever sense, don't really care about that to be honest. Um, it's just still that one thing. So if someone says one misogynistic lyric, will you, you know, people just don't say anything? But maybe we should say something about that. And this is obviously very radical in terms of that. And obviously, it's a, it's a very long way to get to that point. Um, but uh, yeah, and you know, not, I don't, I don't want to you know completely abstain artists from it. They're still humans that you know have brains and can and you know write these fucking lyrics. Like they they they're there. They're in the room doing it. So it's not like they're just being handed a piece of paper going here. Wrap these lyrics for me. Um, you know, they're, they're saying it. it's from their pen, so, you know, I don't want to abstain them completely, but yeah, there's a bigger picture here, that's what I was, I guess what I was trying to say in the overall, in the overall context. Yeah, and I think also, you know, there could be some hip- hypocrisy leveled at me, particularly, or us in general, I mean, we've done podcasts on Big sure. Pun, we've done one on Big L. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Dre, and, yeah, it's genuine. you know, that's, yeah. that's an interesting discussion, you know, like, Obviously, we hold specific beliefs and yet we still listen to these artists and we still promote these artists. And I always wonder about that. Like, how much accountability do we have in that? Because yeah, I, do too. I do believe that to what, something I've always believed with hip hop numbers is I needed I believe in the content. I believe the content is really fucking amazing. And I always believed it needed an audience. And I wouldn't say that I compromise my values to get that audience. But I would say I know what's popular and I know what is going to get me clicks and likes and get me follows. And a lot of the time it's artists who, whilst I was not promoting their particularly misogynistic content, I was still promoting them even though they are misogynistic. And yeah. You know, where do I go with that? Like I used to post heaps about female rappers, but they get no fucking engagement on my on my page, so I don't post it as often anymore. You know, it's like those are things that I'm going to have to work through internally and 
I don't know. That's that's a, that's a difficult conversation to have because I don't know. I want us to uplift these artists that we've done retrospectives of. I want to bring people cool information about Uzi or about, you know, whatever, whoever's coming out. But at the same time, I still know that these artists are putting this kind of content in their music and it's it's hard. Like how much responsibility do we have as as content creators and people with a platform? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a difficult yeah, one. Yes, it's, it's, it's hard to be radical about these things because um, then, like, you'd have to, you know, genuinely think about um, and generally change, every, you know, your entire framework of doing things. Like, you know, if we, if we removed every, um, every, every male artist that made a misogynistic lyric, then we'd, we, we'd struggle. <laughs> we can't, mm. We'd struggle for a lot of things. So, uh, you know, um, it's, it's, we can find ourselves in these things and um you know it's unfortunate that we have to uh, that we have to i guess in order to actually get shit out um in order to just like you know celebrate people you know while they do say these things um they also have you know careers worthy of note um but yeah no no everybody can be you know as radical as um you know as Janelle Monet's being in this sense and uh you know, but regardless of that, I respect her for doing it, and um, you know, I've I've always tried to um, personally try and fifty fifty my music uh, intake in terms of male and female. Um, mm. it's, it's been a you know a, a concerted effort for me personally, but um, yeah, man, don't don't be that most men guy, please. Just just don't just don't give me that. Just don't if you give me that if you give me those two words, I will completely tune out. Um, and I'll just. I just won't bother to be honest, because there's no, there's no, there's no point. Clearly, there's a deeper conversation here, and you won't even get past the, you know, just the, 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 the surface. So you know, it's kind of you're, you're, you're a lost cause. <laughs> nice yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll leave it at that um, since we've gone a long time, and I think we we had like we had four topics actually, but we only got to two. <laughs> it's funny enough, uh, but it is what it is. We'll save that for the next uh, DIT, uh, DITV bites. Um and uh, yeah, so uh, we can hop straight into a lighter note if you'd like. Um, I don't. I did give Ben some challenges, but um, they were kind of uh, stretches, <laughs> to say the least. Um, they were just stuff I thought about, and uh, I didn't really word them well. So uh, I don't. <laughs> just straight up, do you have anything for any of those two, or do you just want to like just not do? It? Well. I didn't actually do any research into them. The first one is an artist where you like one of their songs but never had an interest to further look into them. Now, as Charlie said to me, that's really difficult for me because I'm compulsive. I look into yeah. everything. So <laughs> I don't have an answer for that specifically, but maybe you do, Charlie. Oh, yeah, I do. Um, I, I was... I was uh, I was like listening. I was like I've been watching like Glastonbury performances because <clears throat> like uh, BBC has just obviously been trying to get stuff out and uh, Glastonbury was supposed to happen obviously around this time and uh, they've just been replaying loads of iconic performances and I saw uh, like a few minutes of like uh, of the Arctic Monkeys and um, I I only like one song of theirs and I've listened to well I know other songs are theirs but I just can't be asked to listen to them. Um, and the song is "Do I Want to Know" off the the you know their first track off their album AM. It's so Great boss. Album. It's so Great. boss. Funny thing, I've listened to the album. <laughs> I just haven't. I've listened to nothing else. I don't like any other of their songs. I just like that one track because it's, it's just so fucking clean from an in, in, instrumental perspective. 
Um, the content of the lyrics, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm not, I don't relate to it because I'm not uh, paranoid over a woman. But, uh, you know, it's so boss. It's such a boss track. But I've just never been bothered to listen to any Arctic Monkeys. Uh, it's just, it's just how, it's just how I, how I do sometimes. Like, um, there's also actually uh, Young Blood uh, from The Naked and the Famous. There you go. That's another one. <laughs> I love that song. I've listened to none of their music. Nothing else. It's so weird to me. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm in the majority camp or uh, or or you're in the majority. Where like you know people obviously like listen to one thing and then they listen to the rest. Um, but pff, I don't know where I sit in that spectrum. But uh, yeah, man, it's just, it's just I just found it weird. I, I just found it weird. I put the R and the at regular rotation. I was like. I don't listen to any other Martin Monkeys. I don't, I just don't care to listen to them. <laughs> it's just weird. It's just weird to me. It's, so, it's just something like lean. It's amazing. You Like, while you were talking, I was thinking. So yesterday I was going for a drive and I had my, my, my shuffle on. And obviously I don't have many single tracks from artists. You know, I have quite a lot of tracks. But, uh, you know, I now that I think about it, I can say Sinead O'Connor. Like, I love Nothing Compares to You, but I've never listened to any of her other stuff. Um, but the, the one that came on that really struck me was Valerie with... Uh, why am I blanking on her name? Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse? God, yeah. I was just thinking about her all yesterday. And... I've never checked out Amy Winehouse. I've never listened to Back to Black. I've never listened Same. to her albums. You know, I've heard Rehab. To Frank I've heard Back her to Black. On, I haven't listened to the albums. I've, no, I've heard her on Cherry Wine with Nas. She made me cry on that song every fucking time, bro. Every fucking time I listen to that song, I'm just like choked up. But I've never yeah. listened to her albums and I've never had a huge desire to go check her album out. I don't know why. I just don't yeah. know why. There's no logical reason why i wouldn't go do that but i never have and i check everyone out so that's an example in my case and i don't know why we don't talk about amy winehouse more like i'm valerie like come on man she just what a what an insane talent what an what a beautiful human like just you could feel her soul on that song and you know we don't talk about her very often anymore i wonder why that is um well she's dead that's one. I but, know, um, but I know, but we talk about dead people all the time. Like we talk about dead people more than when they're alive. I mean, this is a hip hop podcast as well, so there's that. But um, yeah, I mean, in general, I guess, uh, I guess, I guess, I know what you're talking about. But yeah, I think, I think she gets some, um, I think she gets um, shine sometimes in in certain cases. Like uh, whenever the documentary Amy comes out, uh, comes on TV or whatever, I see people always talking about that. Um, yeah, I, I, there's people that are genuine fans of her. I, I think so. So uh, you know, I don't think there's. Uh, there's like, nobody's talking about it like like she's completely lost to history but uh yeah you know it, it is what it is um I, I think she's properly rated um amongst the uh, amongst the uh, posthumous uh, uh rankings uh, for crudely crudely said but uh, yeah <laughs> the second it's, one it's was was tough so charlie said and this is i you know i think it's pretty I have clear. to do both but okay yeah, we might as well. Fuck it. Um, yeah. Think of an iconic music moment in music that people always reference, but looking back at it, the moment itself was pretty meh. And I can't think of any. I just can't off the top of my head think of any. Like, do you have so, one in mind? So so this was, again, off my <laughs> Glastonbury <Okay. laughs> exploration. Uh, when, when Jay-Z did Glastonbury, uh, oh, yeah, was it 2008, 2007? Mate, I watched it back. I was like... I mean, the Wonderwall bit was, you know, very funny and like, you know, obviously a, a low key salute slash middle finger to um, Noel Gallagher, who, you know, for what was it, Liam? I forget which, um, who, 
you know, one of them said that, you know, a hip-hop artist shouldn't headline Glastonbury at the time, and that made the news cycle at the time. Um, and then Jay-Z came on, played Wonderwall, and everyone was like, ah, nah, nah, nah. you know, everyone was, everyone was jamming to it, and then he came through with 99 Bombs. And I was just, like, watching the rest of the performance, I was like... This ain't it. It's, it's, not, it's not even that. I don't know. I, I, just, I just didn't rate it as a performance like, overall. Like, I get the. Again, I see the moment, and it is a very important moment because, you know, people like um, uh, Stormzy have obviously headlined Glastonbury now. Kanye headlined Glastonbury very uh, famously. You know, so he opened the door um, to people that go to Glastonbury, which, to be honest, I don't fuck with because I'm not into that kind of uh, festival. <laughs> Uh, that shit just looks so cramped and ugh, looks like a sardine tin every time I look at it. Um, but um, yeah, I, I just as a performance, I was just like overall, like objectively as a performance, I was like, eh, it's not that, it's not all that. <laughs> it's me. <meh. laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think Jay Z has good performances and meh performances. Like you know, the, obviously the B sides concert were great. Um, he was actually, I think he did Coachella. That was the one I, I remember, and it was really good. But yeah, it doesn't always um, come up with the best one, but yeah, that's that's a good point. I haven't actually, uh, I haven't got an answer to that to that particular lighter note. I can't really. I was thinking of like big things like 808s or like Kanye versus 50 Cent or like yeah, you, J versus Nas it, right? or like all these huge things in hip hop history. But I just they were all pretty epic. I don't know Control, uh, T Pab, all these things. Yeah, I can't like I lived through them and oh, there you go. I think that's, that's one. Soldier Boy. What do you mean, Soldier Boy? Well, he's obviously iconic, like in some sense, but that shit's meh, bro. I'm I'm sorry, that shit doesn't. Oh no, 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 no. We're not accepting this. We're not accepting this. Why, Come why, on, why, man. Why? What? No. What? You. No, no, no. <laughs> do, do, do. You. So do you. Just love saying you, bro. Oh. Nah, man, we're not doing this. You know that Soldier Boy is the youngest person to go number one on the hip hop hop hip hop hot one hundred. Uh, sorry, on the hot one hundred, youngest hip hop artist. He is the only artist other than Lauren Hill to self-produce and have no other help whatsoever. And we know what Lauren Hill's credits look like. Their debut single that goes number one. Yes, so he's but here's the difference. Lauren's music artist. slaps. You. That's the difference, my guy. I acknowledge all of that. Nah. But the problem is, the music sucks. Nah. Bro, you were not yes. around yes. when that song dropped. Obviously, you weren't. You weren't. So fuck these, you was. There was, was a moment. I was in that shit, bro. I was, bro, that, I was in that shit where everyone in my school was Bluetoothing that shit on their phones. I was there. Trust She's me. wild. I was there. I, I was completely aware of the moment. The boy, moment yourself. It. Oh, cool. The song's a doo doo. Kiss me through the phone sucks. I'm sorry, sucks. No. And on that note, we no, gre- agree to disagree. <laughs> it's not standard. That's a, it's not that's a, hot, a take. hot take. What was the hot it's take hot you take. made the other not, week that was not, crazy? Oh, take. that paid in full wasn't that great. This is up there with that. <sighs> no, <sighs> Come on, bro. bro you, what is this? You, what is this? The hot take me, podcast. Why are we going down this path, Charlie? Fuck. We're not. We don't need to be like. We don't need to be this. We are this not dumbing down. Bro, bro, this is a light note. We can dumb down. That's what. That's the point of it. <laughs> that's the point of light note. So we can dumb it down a bit. So, right. We get existential and then we f- 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 chat shit. All right. It's, that's fair. All right. This is what it is. We'll agree to disagree. And yeah, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth Moment Podcast Network, 
It's been digging digits. I've enjoyed it. Oh, I've been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We hope you all have a good week. We shall always, always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is Pete's and Video Games by Bonus Points. Next to off records for the ability use. Socials for the fifth element, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and show off records will be in the full show notes wherever you're listening. This has been the fifth element podcast network and hip hop by numbers collaboration. Thanks for spending time with us. Wish to see you next time on Digging in the Digits.